All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 120. It's Tuesday night. We've got national championships in FCS and FBS coming up this week shortly. I'm going to be joined by my regular co-host, it's J.D. Moore. And we're ready to hear from you about your thoughts on college football as we get this all fired up. Obviously, we've got a big game coming up. We've got TCU surprising many people and making it to the final to play Georgia, the returning national championship. I'm going to be joined by J.D. I see he's up here. I'm going to go ahead and send him his invite to co-host. And we're going to get this fired up. If you want to join us, we'd love to hear from you. All you have to do is just tap that request button. And we'll let you up and we'll hear what you've got, what your thoughts are. Because obviously we don't even hear, have to hear about what's coming up, but we'd love to also talk about what's been happening. I mean, we saw a couple of great bowl games. Um, we saw some upsets. Tulane beat my Trojans and uh, they beat them well. I, I was impressed. So, again, we'd love to hear from you. J.D., what's up? How are you doing? You know, as a TCU alum, I am riding on the highest of the highest clouds. Uh, this has been, you know, not even just for me personally, but I think for the sport in general, uh, this has been the best pair of semifinals we have ever seen in the sport. We have seen some incredible New Year's Six games. And when you look at the bulk of this bowl season, we've seen so many games that have been one score games. And we've seen insanity like things like, you know, a... <laughs> A tie game between Illinois and Mississippi State, and with four seconds remaining, that game is tied. That game ends in regulation with Mississippi State winning the game by nine points. I mean, this is the type of insanity that we watched all bowl season, and it's been an incredible finish to what's been an incredible season. And now either we're going to get some brand new blood uh, as a first-time national champion in, I think, at least the post-World War II era for sure, or we're going to get the first back-to-back champion for the first time in a decade. This has been an incredible season in college football, and I can't wait for this finale as well. Yeah, this is a year where, I mean, both national champion contenders are exciting stories. I mean, all four were exciting stories, but I mean, especially Georgia as a returning national champ, potential returning national champ, or TCU just (laughs) shattering all expectations under first-year head coach Sonny Dykes, who's obviously coached before, but no one no one expected him to go this far. I mean, I, I know it, it, was, it was an exciting race to the, the college football playoff. USC had that chance to make it, and of course, you know, I, I associate more with Caleb Williams being injured during that playoff, probably during the, the Pac-12 championship game, but Utah still cleaned their clock. And then, unfortunately – Tragically, they had a similar situation with Cam Rising being injured in the Rose Bowl, and then Penn State walloped the the Utes. And they also had a few key departures for the bowl game. I mean, they had that absolute terror at tight end. I forgot his name, and I apologize for that. But they they had one of the best tight ends I've ever seen, um, and and he was there. You know, we have someone who wants to join us, so let's go ahead and let you on here. Um, and let's see here, Alex Kent. When you come up here, just go ahead and hit on mute. We'd love to hear from you and, and your thoughts on everything college football, whatever you feel like talking about. Yeah, guys, uh, thanks for, for letting me speak here. Um, obviously, massive dogs fan. Uh, super excited that we got on the other end of a close one for the first time in what seems like a while, you know, 726, 2012 against Alabama. All the other times the Georgia fans have disappointed and not blowing anyone out. Um, really, three main questions. The first, 
Has anyone ever asked uh, the the coach at Georgia if he prefers Kirby or Coach Smart? Huh, that's actually an interesting question. JD, have you ever heard that come up? You know, the only time that I could even think of somebody uh, saying that they would prefer to hear coach last name as opposed to their first name is uh, Deion Sanders when he first went to Jackson State and he demanded to be called Coach Prime as opposed to Dion. And I think he actually <laughs> left that one press conference because one other person was like, your name is Dion. I'm going to ask you a question is Dion. Uh, but no, overall, though, uh, I don't think that's been officially asked. Uh, I haven't opened up a uh, Georgia media guide uh, by any means to see what that preferred nomenclature is. Uh, but that's a fair question. Yeah, I think my, yeah. my second question, I, I thought that was going to be your answer. So maybe you guys can do some digging on that and we can uh, – maybe make that a storyline for the national championship. Cause we all know that's important. Um, my second question is, and you guys have probably already read about this, but apparently SoFi stadium that's holding the national championship doesn't allow for tailgating. And with playoff expansion coming, why are we having the national championship game versus Pasadena or new Orleans or one of these other you know, staple college sounds. Mm. So I appreciate you guys letting me on and uh, look forward to hearing your, your answers here. Man, I feel you on that. So I'm going to be at the game this week. Um, I'm actually in California right now, but I went up to visit family. I took a photo of like the baggage claim because they already had like all the, the CFP stuff up already. And, but the, uh, I, it's a little annoying. To be honest, SoFi Stadium is in kind of a weird location. The, for example, the media hotels are literally the LAX hotels. Like, they're just by the airport, which – because that's the closest set of hotels to SoFi Stadium. It's in kind of a, a, a weird location because it used to be um, – I mean, I'm old enough to remember it was Hollywood Park, which was like the racing track back in the golden era of Hollywood where all the celebrities would go to watch the horses. And no one does that anymore, so the track kind of died. And Perfect piece of land to build a stadium on. Um, but – yeah, I've heard that, that that tailgating might be an issue. It's a beautiful venue. We had someone cover the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl um, earlier in the bowl season and said it's just a, a fine venue. We, we had a, um, a Twitter space with the general manager of the facility. He, uh, they've obviously took a lot of time to, to make it a good place to watch a game and look from the outside. They're going to host the Olympics. But all that said, I don't think they tailgate at the Olympics, which should be an event in my opinion. But setting that aside, I agree. I think it's a shame that um, – we don't get an opportunity to have some of these. Of course, I know, and it's kind of curious. I'm not, I, I was kind of thinking about TCU fans coming into this because I'm like, I don't know if a lot of TCU fans necessarily expected to make it through the semifinals. So I'm wondering how many um, TCU fans necessarily spent what they thought was going to be their postseason budget to go to the Fiesta Bowl. And now, they, oh, shoot, there's another game coming up. Um, I'm wondering how many we're going to see. Uh, in SoFi Stadium. I'm sure we'll see a fair number, but I'm just kind of, that was one aspect I'm curious about. So I'm not sure how much of that budget goes into tailgating for these nationals. I mean, the last year was Indianapolis, which was cold as hell. <laughs> it, I mean, okay, not for me. I'm from Minnesota. I've lived in Minnesota for 20 years, but it was like 20 degrees. It was Alabama and Georgia fans. I mean, they were not exactly folks that were used to tailgating in that kind of weather. And it wasn't really any place to tailgate because, you know, Lucas, I'm sure there's some tailgating lots, but I mean, most fans were just kind of meandering through this sort of small Skyway indoor walkway system they had and the convention center next door, which was they kind of set up to sort of a fan fest. Um, so it was all like indoors and connected. But um, I agree. I'd love to see more at like the Rose Bowl. And, and part of it is who's bidding on it, because I know 
at least for the uh, for the for the national championship game, they're still kind of doing it like the Super Bowl in that there's venues that bid for other really large sporting events where people bid on them. And I mean, gosh, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis bid on it, and then, of course they didn't get it. And I don't know. I mean, if Vegas gets it, because I know Vegas will probably come back into play. For those who don't remember, Vegas was picked for a national championship game. They some the most embarrassing moment I think in scheduling sports sports scheduling history. No one bothered to look at the calendar in Vegas. That is the same time as the biggest conference Vegas ever hosts, which was um, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Which let me put that 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 conference brings in like forty thousand people, no more than that. Like it brings in like hundreds of millions of dollars and in like just tens and tens of thousands of people, which a sporting event just can't do single handedly. So with the playoff expanding, that pushes it further into January and possibly, I don't know, February. But that clears that space for the uh, for um, Vegas to come back on. So they instead just gave that spot to the makeup game to Miami because Miami got kind of hosed because they hosted the CFP title game in the height of the pandemic and there wasn't a big crowd or anything like that. So all that set aside, I'm hoping <clears> that they do in a place like Vegas. But J.D., what are your thoughts on this? I think more of anything else, if I'm going to consider, again, I think you hit a really strong point on tailgating being a part of college football culture, more so than NFL culture, more so than in the professional ranks. Because, yes, you do have spots that you can tailgate, but we always – in instantly think of college football being a place where you can go to your buddy's house, knock back a couple of beers, grill on the hibachi in the backyard, and then walk over to the game. Uh, That's why I think it's such a big deal that when we see this expanded playoffs, it's been a huge push to get these first couple of rounds back on campus again where college football belongs. I understand making sure that you have maximum capacity for all of these different moments and it's supposed to be big and hyped up because you're putting in a professional stadium uh, but I'm 100% with you I greatly prefer if I'm going and covering a college football game if I'm attending a college football game let me go ahead and tailgate with some of the locals first let me try some of their beer let me try some of their food and get a real feel for what that is because you don't get that in a professional level in that same type of atmosphere I, I really enjoy that this new playoff system is going to to have an emphasis of making sure that we see some of these first round games because you know we <laughs> Bob Ack, you had mentioned you know you went to the national championship in Indianapolis and everything was cold and frigid out there so we didn't really see Georgia and Alabama tailgating the way that you would see it in the south I guarantee if you have something like a number eight Wisconsin hosting a first round playoff game there's going to be tailgates all throughout Madison Wisconsin that day oh yeah. and the same <laughs> thing at Ohio State same thing at Michigan same thing at Penn State if you go to all of these different places that they will celebrate that tailgate culture it's going to happen and i love the concept of getting a true home crowd with full on full on experience of college football i love that in the new setting and you know even though i'm happy to see the national championship in the way that it's at and we have something of a playoff system now it's going to be so much better when we get those opportunities of playing games on campus again absolutely Hey, um, let's see. We've got a couple other callers up here. Alex, thanks for joining us. That was, those are some great questions to kind of kick us off here. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, of course, guys. Thanks. And and to just reiterate, I was there in Indianapolis. I went to a bar. I did not tailgate outside. Yeah. Going on the uh, 6 a.m. flight from Atlanta to 
L.A. on Monday. I'm on the red eye back. But it, anyway, you know, have not you been really LA before? about tailgating, but it, you know, I guess I have the benefit as a Georgia fan not going to the Fiesta Bowl like TCU fans and, you know, having it in my backyard. So I appreciate you guys. Hey, I hope you have a good chance. I mean, I, obviously, I hope everyone's team wins. You know, that's that's my line on that. But I mean, I hope you have a good time in L.A. It should be a good day. You know, it's going to be chilly, though. It's going to be chillier than most. If somebody asked me, hey, I might go by the pool. I'm like, Okay, hold up. L.A. isn't Miami. It's going to be like 59 degrees <laughs> as the high on that Monday. So, uh, but um, I hope you have a good time out there. It's going to be an earlier kickoff, though. I keep forgetting that. It's like a 4.30 kickoff local time. Yeah, so... thank, thank God for the 4.30 so we can make the uh, the red eye back and, and go to yeah. work on Tuesday. But appreciate it. Prepared for the, uh, I guess, colder weather and, uh, and go dogs as always. Yeah, take care, man. Thank you. Hey, Mark, let's go to you and then we'll go with Reggie Betts. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, as a as a Purdue alum, uh, I'm busy uh, looking at the sad remnants of what used to be uh, one of the most fun teams I've yeah. gotten to uh, root for. I mean, Christ Almighty! But uh, on on a happier note, it's obviously this college football playoff semifinals were fantastic. Championship game was in. Uh, it should be a really fun matchup. Something I'm, I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts on. Tournament expands from 12. What impacts that will have on that? I mean, like with only four uh, spots now, there really is an emphasis on which four teams have the four best resumes, because obviously we heard a lot of hypothetical, like when Nick Saban was put on t- TV is like, look at the point spreads. We would be favored against, every team except Georgia. That was his main argument. And uh, it was cringeworthy when he said it, but do you guys see, like, when the tournament expands to 12, do you think there's a chance they change the seating a bit to be more like look at metrics, be like it's less about resume, more of what we think, which matchups would be best? Uh, What do you guys think? Uh, Well, first and foremost, under this new expanded system, assuming it's the same model that we had uh, when it was originally proposed with the 12 teams, one of the things is we are going to have a metric of no matter what, the top four teams will be conference champions, regardless of what happens. So if we had a situation Mm -hmm. like we had this year, Clemson would have been given a first round by and they would have been one of the top four teams because of where they were ranked. Uh, and they won the ACC, we probably would have seen a similar thing with Utah, possibly the same thing with Kansas State, depending on how all that shook out. Georgia obviously would get uh, one of those buys as well as the undefeated uh, Power 5 champ, uh, Michigan would as well. Uh, But uh, no matter what, uh, you know, as we see those teams advance, uh, one of those criteria is going to be a conference championship because uh, they're going to have the opportunity to play in that championship game and get that second opportunity to have a buy. Whereas if you've got a team like Alabama, you don't want a situation brewing of, you know, if Alabama is 10 and two heading into uh, conference championship week, they could just sit their guys, rest everybody. And if they don't care about that conference championship, suddenly they've got some really healthy guys ready to go. And if Alabama were to sneak into the four spot that year, suddenly they get a buy and they get the opportunity to rest all their guys. That's something that a lot of these uh, decision-makers, 
lawmakers decided that they didn't want to have happen. So one of those metrics is always going to be there's going to be a conference champion uh, to get one of those first four spots. Now, granted, in a system like this, I know we've tweeted uh, those brackets before, uh, but we would have had a situation where Tulane obviously would have been in as a G5 rep. You would have had Alabama probably as the five seed. Uh, just because they'd be sitting right outside. But you'd also have Tennessee sitting up in there. You might have LSU in there, depending on the rankings. Uh, But I think more than anything else, it gives us the opportunity to put in those teams so there's no question about deserving versus best. You get the opportunity to get the teams of like, hey, you want to claim that Alabama would wreck shop all the way through? Yeah, maybe they would, but that's why they would get that outside shot as opposed to, well, we're going to disqualify one of these four teams, which, again, we had such incredible semifinals this year. I loved the top four that we had for this year, but I think it really also puts to rest that best versus deserving. And at least under this system, Bobak, I mean, is this something that I think uh, we're going to be able to look forward to and go, hey, this is awesome? Because I know one of the criticisms is, you know, if you look at the FCS level and people go, well, North Dakota State just dominates every single year, we still see some incredible games at that level. And surely we would see some kind of insanity like that happening at the FBS level, wouldn't we? Absolutely. You know, I'm going to go back to one of my favorite uh, comments I ever heard interviewing a coach, and this is, when Rocky Long was still at San Diego State. And I love Rocky Long. He's old school, and both times he's resigned from teams that were doing good under his watch. He just decided he was just kind of – he figured he'd done enough. And now, I mean, obviously he's stepped up to uh, – back up to be an FBS DC for the first time in a long time. But anyway, saying that aside, when people kept asking – because you remember San Diego State was making some pretty serious runs at being a potential um, – New Year's Six qualifying team, but he when you asked him about the playoff, he'd always say, because he'd been a longtime G5 coach, that, you know, the sure, you know, letting in, and that was still when we were talking like a hypothetical roughly 12. And he's like, you know, let in a G5 team, and once in every blue moon, you're going to get one that's going to make an, or an, any lower-seeded team that's going to make an unlikely run. And that's just going to get people really excited. He was talking, also framing it and and possible energy. Cause I think with like, for example, I think even with TV energy, having a couple of rounds of upsets builds that hype. I mean, it works so well when you watch, you know, NCAA hoops, um, when you see like a George Mason or a team kind of starting to build that momentum or even, you know, in the world cup, Morocco, I mean, in Croatia to a less, much lesser extent, Croatia was already a good team, but you know, Morocco just sort of going as far as they did, people were getting kind of hyped. That so you need a couple of more games, and I think just one to get that necessarily the same level of hype train. So I think it may not work out every year, it might still end up being the first, you know, the top five or six always making it to the semifinals. But that one year where you get like a 12 seed unexpectedly maybe getting to the semifinal or even the final, there's gonna be a lot of excitement there, and there's gonna be a lot of hype. and Granted, it's it's kind of weird to talk about that after we've had a couple of years of exciting semifinal games, but especially this year in particular. But I agree. I think it I think it will work well for the long run, and and everyone's going to love it if when we get that kind of a year where a lower seed team, not necessarily even a twelve or you know ten, eleven, whatever, just sort of makes it up, and everyone's going to be like, "Oh crap! Look what's happening!" Even if they're a P five program, I think people will be hyped. Absolutely. No, thanks, you guys, for answering my question. Uh, green wave to the title game. Who says no? <laughs> oh, man. You know, oh, you had to bring them up. That just killed me. They they earned that win. That was a, that was a beautiful win, but I watched it. That safety, when it happened, I'm like, oh, my God. 
I mean, everyone knew where it was going. That I don't know what was up with that camera crew, but they kept putting pictures on the funniest fans expressions that whole game i was literally just live tweeting screenshot after screenshot i'm like okay no that's just too funny that's too funny there was this moment where there were three usc fans and they almost they almost formed this the be no evil probably speak no evil here probably see no evil hear no evil speak no evil uh expression and it, it just i i honestly was just laughing I've, I've been out of it long enough that i can be an objective fan when i watch that stuff but still suffer subjectively um oh. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Yeah, no, thank you, guys. Hey, what's up, Reggie? What's going on? How, how we doing? How we doing? Um, so a little off topic here, but uh, as you know, we're heading the off season. You know, there's always you know the rumor mill and the coaches' criticism is you know we can already tell you you know there's already the rumor Jim Harbaugh's interviewing with every team in the NFL for the ninth straight year, but. Um, the two the two coaches I was really intrigued about and just wanted to hear your opinions on was first off Lincoln Riley and just uh, especially the system he has where he's recruited good you know with the skill position but um, you can tell you know they're built off transfers as they're trying to do it again um, and then and just how how do we think that's going to play on the long run like can he use the portal for about thirty to forty percent of his recruiting class annually or is that going to pan out? And then the second one I was gonna I was curious about was Ryan Day because obviously you have, you know Ohio State fans are just you know freaking out <laughs> you know saying that you know he's not the one but uh, as you know but I was just kind of curious to see what your opinions on them uh, are especially just in the long run because obviously you know people just expect uh, Ohio State or Ohio State fans expect Ohio State to be on the you know Georgia um, Alabama level every year. Um, but obviously recruiting's taken a little bit of a tick down, as you can tell with them. But I was just kind of curious to see what you think the futures are with those two coaches in the national championship conversations annually. Yeah. Um, g- gosh, we've had a bit of a conversation on that, especially with the idea of, of where Riley's going to be on this. JD, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because you weren't here last week. Yeah, certainly. So I think with these two high-profile Coaches who have had, you know, their own challenges of meeting expectations for the fan bases. Uh, I think with Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, this is obviously a really difficult loss in a New Year's Six game, especially uh, collapsing in the Pac-12 championship when you essentially had the playoff ready for you on a platter. Um, I think one of the big deals that I immediately think to with uh, Lincoln Riley is not necessarily will he succeed out of the portal or will he find like quality recruits to come play for him. I mean, the man has had uh, three Heisman winners and one Heisman finalist and all four of them were transfers. And so I think the ability to find the guys that can fit into a system and turn them into big offensive weapons, I don't think that's necessarily a big deal for Lincoln Riley. I think a big deal right now, at least for him, is what does he do on the defensive side of the ball to improve? Because we're now at a point where it's a walking meme. Uh, for Lincoln Riley to blow a big opportunity in a big bowl game because his defense isn't there to support his major offense. And we saw this in the same exact way against Tulane. I mean, this is a man who very famously uh, doesn't hire a special teams coordinator, and you've got instances like your kick return team literally muffing the ball at the one-yard line, giving up a safety, and ultimately your defense failing to put away Tulane on a huge drive uh, for them to end up winning that game with, I think ESPN had posted, it was the most unlikely win according to their FPI ever. 
Uh, but that's the kind of situation that Oklahoma fans had gotten really upset about with Lincoln Riley. And they were like, hey, we love the fact you've won, you know, 50 something games and you've only lost like five during the regular season. But if you can't win the games that matter, this is going to be really disappointing for us. And I think similarly, that's kind of where people are at right now in Columbus with Ryan Day. You know, Ryan Day is a guy who consistently will go out, make sure you're at least in a New Year's Six Bowl, make sure you're a constant playoff contender, constantly in the conference championship race, bringing in huge recruits year after year. Uh, But, you know, in the last couple of years, one of the big questions has been, what's been the big game that he can win? And when you look at it, you start to realize, you know, this is a man who's dropped to Michigan twice in a very embarrassing fashion for an Ohio State coach. Uh, We've seen him get leveled in a national championship game. We've seen him uh, lose this opportunity against Georgia when he was so close down to that missed field goal. We've seen opportunities where, uh, you know, when he gets into that very final moment where he needs to really deliver for Ohio State to get them over the hump, he just hasn't done that yet. I don't think there's any reason uh, that Ohio State would get rid of him at this point. Uh, But I do definitely think if there's another cycle of another blowout loss to Michigan, another New Year's Six loss, uh, I think that definitely starts to become a question of, well, when does he get over that hump? And I think that's the fair question to start asking that point. I also want to know if he can hire a defensive coordinator. Dear goodness, please. <laughs> when he brought Alex Grinch back as a Notre Dame fan, I was I was so excited. I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, thank the Lord. I thought he's gonna. I thought he was gonna sneak in like a Venables or something. I was so. And then, and, and I wasn't trying to say you know right you know because. I think there's going to be a just way to, you know, get rid of a coach in the sense where you go 11 to one annually. It's tough, but I get the expectations from Ohio state where um, I just, like, I was just confused. Like, and this last question, and, uh, but I appreciate it. You guys answered my questions very thoroughly is what was the difference between the urban Meyer teams and his, I got that. That's the big thing for me. Was it the, you know, was it purely just defense, but I, but I mean, remember, even then, you know, their national championship year, I mean, I mean, they were scoring, I mean, they had a pretty similar style of offense, what they have now. Um, I just didn't like, I'm just kind of curious to see, like, what do you think is the biggest difference besides obviously just, you know, having finally having struggles against Michigan. And then, but again, again, guys, appreciate answering my questions. Yeah, I think for Ryan day, the difference that we've seen between the urban Meyer teams and the Ryan day teams Uh, really just has been coaching. And I'm not saying coaching in being able to make guys turn to superstars or find good recruits. I think it literally just comes to game time decisions and making sure that those decisions are made in a strong, contemplative way, uh, as opposed to an impulsive or sloppy or otherwise uh, not very well decided ideas. I mean, we saw Uh, With the Michigan game, uh, we saw a lot of different defensive schemes that were literally built to be destroyed by a Michigan offensive line by running the ball up the gut. They got out physicaled at the line of scrimmage uh, and they put their linebackers in positions that, you know, we saw a 3-3-5 defense out of TCU and they were able to hold down a lot of big plays. Whereas when Ohio State played them, they put linebackers out of position and they essentially, uh, you know, didn't try to make uh, Michigan try to uh, run against a box. And so either Michigan would run it straight up the gut or when they would oversell trying to block the box, uh, they'd have a wide receiver wide open. 
And I think that's kind of the difference between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. We've seen instances even in this uh, last playoff game. You know, everybody wants to talk about, oh, you know, Kirby Smart had the most brilliant timeout when he saw the fake play coming. Not a lot of whole people have realized that there were 12 men on the field to begin with for Ohio State. So had they even gotten the fake off, they would have had the flag thrown. It would have been pulled back. Ultimately, Kirby Smart really just kind of burned a timeout during that play. But that's the kind of, I guess, inexperience, I think, is the fair word to use there. Because, uh, you know, when Urban Meyer came to Ohio State, he had already won two national championships with Florida. He built Utah to be the first prototype of what Utah football is today. And he had all this experience of success before coming in. And Ryan Day essentially just went from offensive coordinator to, hey, by the way, you're taking over one of the biggest blue bloods in the history of the sport. Have fun out there. So I think that's kind of where that difference has been, at least for Ohio State. And, uh, you know, Bobak, when you consider the differences that we've seen with Ohio State, uh, trying to make sure that they stay competitive, we've seen Ohio State stay competitive. It's just for whatever reason, they haven't had that winning edge, have they? Yeah, and you know, to an extent, I, this is some of the stuff that people were saying about Harvard to to a little little bit of a level um, early on before he these last couple of years where he broke into the playoffs. Like, can he win some of these these key games like against Ohio State? So, I mean, I, eventually he can do it, uh, or he theoretically could do it. But at this point, it, it's frustrating, I think, for a lot of those fans to see that. Um, but I think you put it very articulately and very well. I don't want to labor the the response to it because I agree with your position on all of this because Urban Meyer certainly for all his foibles off the field can, can has more uh, his resume is just more astonishing in, in so many ways um, we've had a couple of other people come up I want to be able to hear from others too um, let's see here uh, Diego Brandon you've been really patient what's up how's it going <clears throat> excuse me how's it going sorry my my voice is a little scratchy from uh, screaming my head off at the Cotton Bowl yesterday. Oh, man. Hell, yeah. Roll green wave. Uh, and as a, and as a Tulane fan since the year of my birth in 1978, I can tell you that was probably the most. And I went to the Liberty Bowl. That was my freshman year when we went undefeated. But this, this we reached the mountaintop, fellas. We really did. The And, and what... I think I think this game has a gigantic cause effect for college football, and what I mean by th- what I mean by that is this: we've seen over the last few ne- <clears throat> excuse me, the last few New Year's six games, where the so-called power f- the power five against the group of five, the group of five have actually <clears throat> either outright won or been super competitive in every game. So the the cause effect of this is obviously obviously recruiting now. My question to you is, with Tulane pulling off a win like this after such a turnaround, with really minimal transfers, minimal defections of any kind, any, 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 any defections that were meaningful, to be honest, for, with Tulane pulling, something, pulling this off, do you see an uptick in recruits thinking, I might have a better chance it's starting and starring and getting a team because the playoffs coming that mid major that, that now I don't, I don't want to use the term mid major, but that the group of five teams, the group of five schools would actually have a better recruiting shot due to the success of Tulane over a, over a USC in a major bowl game, especially with the chance that, Hey, we could go to the playoffs and play for this whole thing and go on a run 
and get hot at the right time, you know, it could end up like the NHL playoffs where all it takes is a hot team, you know, a team to get hot at the right time, boom. And then all of a sudden that talent and those stars go away, that disparity goes away, like in the Tulane USC game and scheming and coaching matters more. And these kids that could be, could be snatched up being fourth string on USC or Alabama or Tennessee could go to a group of five team like Tulane and say, I could start here. I could have a fulfilling career here and I could play for a chip here. What do you think? So I think there's certainly a possibility and more than anything else, you're still going to have the fundamentals, right? If I think at least in a two lane situation, you might not necessarily be selling like, Hey, we can compete in a playoff. We can do a national title run as a G five. I think what you're going to be selling and especially in Louisiana where it's typically been a one team game for decades i think you can convince a lot of kids who leave the state of louisiana to go play at alabama at ole miss at texas a&m at insert other school here you can convince them like hey you know what you're currently a second string you're kind of trying to make sure that you stay on that depth chart why don't you come back to louisiana play ball in nolens and be one of these Louisiana heroes playing with a solid team that knows how to win at the New Year's Six level. I think that's kind of the shift that we would see when it comes to recruiting kids at a G5 level, because we're kind of seeing that across the country. I mean, right now, TCU is absolutely killing it in the transfer portal with all these transfers that they've had come in. They've had two guys come in from Alabama. You've got guys... Uh, coming in from all across the country to come back and play at TCU because Sonny Dykes is selling the message of, hey, you know what? You grew up in DFW. I'm so glad you went off to Alabama. I'm so glad you went off to Arizona State or wherever else. But why don't you come back home and play for a playoff contender? That's the message that they're selling. And then, of course, they have all the typical things that you'd see in recruiting of, look at our facilities, look at our coaching staff, look at our uh, job opportunities after you've graduated, look at your NIL possibilities. I think for G5s overall, the teams that will do really well at that will be something like a Tulane, will be something like an SMU, will be something uh, similar along the lines of maybe a Memphis uh, coming back out or something similar along those lines where they can say, you have a huge recruiting base that is already really dominated by some other bigger brand. Maybe you got overlooked by them the first time. Maybe you feel homesick. Why don't you come back and play ball for us and get all the things you want out of your college experience, but do it back at home. I think that's ultimately where we're going to see that transfer portal be really effective. Uh, and I think we're also going to see a lot of transfer portals of, you know, we're seeing situations like uh, Grayson McCall over at Coastal Carolina entered the portal when, you know, his coach ended up taking the Liberty job with uh, Jamie Chadwell. Grayson McCall went back to Coastal and he took his name out of the portal. We saw Austin Allen uh, over at North Texas. He put his name into the portal when he got a new coach. And instead of going to a power five team that certainly could have used his talents, he decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to go back to UNT. I'm going to finish out my year. I'm close back to home. Might as well keep a good thing going. We're seeing situations even as well, like down at UTSA in San Antonio, Frank Harris decided to come back for a super senior year, didn't decide he wanted to transfer, didn't decide he wanted to try his luck in the NFL. He said, you know what? I've loved the thing that we've been going here. I don't care about playing at a P5. 
uh, even though I could probably make a roster out of P5 right now, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to enjoy what I've had here at UTSA at the G5 level. That's the type of recruiting and that type of retention I think we're also going to see with G5s going forward with this expansion. Yeah, just to build up to that, I think, you know, the only thing that I'll even add more to that is, of course, getting success, finding success and getting onto an NFL team. I think being drafted, all of that stuff. The bottom line is, you know, if you're trying to attract talent, especially via the transfer portal or as recruiting, you know, ultimately these are these are young men who want to make a real career out of it. And while even things like we've had previous discussions about NIL, things like that, I mean, those are nice and everything, but for the real careers and paydays these, these young guys are looking for, you know, there's, that's ultimately going to be the biggest attraction. And even with, you know, Lincoln Riley's USC Hall, some of those players said, you know, it wasn't because of the sheer amount of NIL. It's because they saw there was more potential for going to the NFL. And, and you know, USC is one of those factories historically that has sent players to the to the league, successful or not, they, they do get there. So, um, and I think Tulane has that opportunity, and we'll see how, if they have a good draft this year, that'll certainly help as well in terms of luring new talent, luring new players. And we've been hot on Willie Fritz for a long time. I have personally, and I've got, I'm not going to belabor this, but I've been a big fan of his ever since I started learning about him in 2015 when we first covered a Sunbelt Media Day and he was still at Georgia Southern. The guy had a, t- a talent for winning, and I mean, Tulane was always a tall order. They were kind of a – they kind of had everything there, and J.D. kind of laid it out with their, their position in the state of Louisiana. And, and uh, now it seems to finally be paying off, and we – you know, it would be exciting to have them be fun because that's a fun program. That's just a fun program. It's really hard to hate them. And, and you, you got to love any team that's hard to hate. Uh, <laughs> to, to an extent, I mean, I, I remember when that was TCU. Um, but now, now you can't quite say that. Because they're no longer, you know, the uh, you know they, they they've climbed their way up in, into a whole other layer of success. Um, you know that that might be a good transition. I see the next caller up on. We, we've got a couple up, but the, the next in order was uh, Roll MF Toad. Um, what's going on, man? Yeah, I wanted to talk more about the national championship. Um, Kendra Miller's obviously questionable. It's unsure if he's going to play. Um, so with your star running back out, your second string, uh, DeMarcado is talented as well, but, um, you know, with Kendra possible, possibly out, you know, how does TCU beat Georgia's, you know, top five defense? I think the first thing that we're going to have to see is a really expanded version of the passing game. Uh, I think a lot of options with Tay Barber, with Quentin Johnson, especially running mesh routes, uh, screen plays. We saw a lot of that in the Michigan game. Being able to open that up in the flat is going to be a huge deal for Garrett Riley uh, going against this Georgia front seven, which is going to bring a lot of pressure to this offensive line. It's probably going to be the most competent defensive line uh, that TCU has played all season long. And I think getting the ball quickly out of Max Duggan's hands is going to be the key to the game for TCU if they want to win it. So I think if we see a lot of these options of bubble passes, screen plays, we saw a lot of drag routes uh, with Tay Barber. That's where uh, we had the one touchdown. Uh, In that third quarter, Quentin Johnson, when he 
did the very slow drag as well. And that turned into, I think, a 76-yard touchdown run once he got into the clear. Uh, getting that ball out of Max Duggan's hands is going to be so quintessential uh, for the passing game and for the overall offensive production, especially when you don't have Kendra Miller available. Now, granted, Sonny Dyke said he's questionable. He's been medically cleared to play in the game, but a lot of TCU's radio people have been saying, yeah, we don't expect him to actually play in this game. I think the other thing that we're also going to have to see on top of that, uh, there's a reason Max Duggan was the runner-up with the Heisman. I trust him to have a passing game going. I think one of the other things that we're also going to have to see is uh, DeMarcado is going to have to have the game of his life. I don't think he necessarily you know, needs to run for 200 yards or anything else like that, or even 100 yards in this game, but he needs to have the ability to break up that offense and make sure that there's a opportunity for the passing game to actually establish for Max Duggan. And I think if you can do those two things, you can get some kind of chipping away at Georgia. So you're not necessarily going to get the home run ball on them. You're not going to necessarily have 10 seconds in the pocket to find a guy open wide downfield. Max Duggan is probably going to have to do a lot of scrambling in this game in order to pick up those five, six, seven yard chunks uh, to make it a closer third down situation to convert on the fourth and shorts, so on and so forth. Uh, but I think that's probably the game plan that you got to have if you don't have Kendry Mill available in this game. Yeah. Um, and uh, just wanted to, I'm not going to really add anything to there because I can't possibly give any more of this than JV can. Um, that MF Toad was, uh, was that what you were looking for? <laughs> I just wanted to. See if you had anything you wanted to, to to follow up with there. Oh no, that that's what I was curious about. Um, is there any? Have y'all seen any key players for Georgia that's out that you know may impact the game? Got to be honest, I have not seen Georgia's roster enough to truly be able to say one way or another on that. Uh, but I think more than anything else, Georgia is going to have that depth on their roster where their second string isn't necessarily going to be, you know, the guy who never saw any snaps all season. This is a very deep roster that Kirby Smart has built over the years. And I think regardless of who is going to be out uh, for Georgia, they're going to have the affordability of, hey, we've got a guy who could step up as well. I think for TCU, I think attrition is going to be a big thing for them to manage as well uh, to make sure that when they have their guys going through, you know, you don't have a line that's suddenly too tired when you get to the five yard line in the third quarter or when you're trying to close out a drive, you have the opportunity to make it a touchdown and not a field goal. I think that's going to be a massive key to this game for TCU's to stay in it. And I think for Georgia, just the depth of that roster uh, makes it an inherent advantage, not one that you can't overcome, uh, but it definitely gives an advantage to the Bulldogs in that game. And are you taking the Absolutely. 13 and a half spread the over the under you think? Uh, for 13 and a half, uh, you know, if people followed my gambling advice, uh, they would also realize why Vegas's buildings are shiny and tall. <laughs> Uh, but the gut immediately tells me uh, I like the cover of 13 and a half. Um, I think TCU will play a competitive game no matter what. I'm obviously going to hope with my heart uh, that they're going to get in my brain. 
uh, and uh, instinct says one thing about this game, but you know, given everything that TCU has gone through this season, uh, I love the idea that they're a team of destiny. Uh, they've had dumber BS wins happen this year. Hello, Baylor. <laughs> uh, but I think overall, if I were to pick, uh, this is a game that I would pick with my heart uh, plus 13 and a half. And of course, now that I've said that, uh, you know, some other sports book is now going to make a lot of money on idiots like me taking that. Hey, I can start a sports book if you just want to pay me, JD. But, uh, <laughs> I, man, can you imagine if, if the national championship game ended like that Baylor game? Imagine if it were backwards. Imagine if Georgia was the team that ran onto the field and just kicked a game-winning field goal. Like, I, I Twitter would shut down. Like, the, the I mean, we joke because we use – we use Slack to communicate with each other a lot. And the bot that posts things on Twitter will sometimes break anytime something really important happens in sports because too many people are tweeting. And then that bot just says, F it, I'm not going to update anything. So that would that would melt everything if Georgia managed to reverse Baylor on, uh, <laughs> on TCU. Anyway. Um, hey, but let's appreciate your answer to my questions. We're, we're, we're... Appreciate it. Uh, oh, yeah, man. Thanks for joining us. Um so uh, we've got about 15 minutes left. I just want to welcome anyone else who wants to come in and join us. But Clout Machine, I know you were there too. And, and again, if anyone else wants to join in, just hit request. Your voices are all welcome. We love hearing from you, any aspect of college football. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for the space. We appreciate it. And um, what I wanted to talk about, you know, less to do with NIL, but just more so in general, how NIL has affected uh, college and pro. I'll, I'll be very specific. So, a big trend that we're going to see a lot more, not just this draft, but others coming ahead, is with the emergence of the transfer portal. We're now seeing a lot of a lot of guys that will go in like the um, definitely second, third, um, fourth rounds that have gone to multiple institutions, like like three plus, and they balled out at, at all of them. There's one guy I'm thinking of right now, uh, University of Houston D line. He starts out at a community college in Georgia, goes to Iowa State and then still transfers to Houston. And he's just one guy, but as a prototype, usually before the transfer portal existed, you know, anytime you saw two or more, it was, you know, quote-unquote behavioral issue, character, whatever. It was, you know, it was not spoken of well, and this this would not happen in such large amounts. So one thing I'm curious about is, one, are we going to start to see a revisit to that narrative of if you go to more than one institution, it must mean that you were like, you know, a subpar human in some kind of way. And then, well, how, how are GMs and the higher level going to start to respond to that? Are they going to start to see those changes on that level? Are they going to be able to make their peace with that or those narratives keep existing? That is a really good question, and I'm really glad you brought it up. I mean, I I feel a lot about where you're coming from there because I think a lot of the um, – the old day, I mean, I always used to feel with the old transfer rules that sometimes the, the, the sort of family emergency situation that would sometimes allow for uh, transfers, but also sometimes an extended year because somebody had to leave the team. Sometimes I always wondered how much of that was sort of, you know, some remote relative or something like that. And, and I think the new transfer rules have allowed it to be more honest about just people trying to find the right fit. I mean, when we think about the pros, obviously some players just fit better in other systems than others and uh, other systems and no one bats an eye at that. So I think with, with some of these college athletes moving around, if they find a, 
a program that works for them, I think the proof will be on the field. And, and I'm sure a lot of the, the GMs will go like, okay, well, they're, they're, that's the program that works for him. And that's something maybe we have in our program in the pros. I mean, gosh, in the old days, sometimes you were just sort of hoping because the transfer rules were so tight on the student athletes that it was just impossible to move. You just hope that there was a change in, in staffing. I think of, for example, I'm going to use the USC example because it kind of works here. Carson Palmer. I mean, I remember his career trajectory at USC. He got there, true freshman, got thrown in a little bit early because there was just such a, a disaster ahead of him. And he did all right. He kind of had three okay years. One of them was an injury. Um, and then 2001 comes, Pete Carroll comes along with Norm Chow, who was a very good offensive coordinator for quarterbacks. And after two years, suddenly he becomes this the Heisman winner, and, and looks like the quarterback people had thought he would be, but it didn't materialize until that final season. And really because the coaching personnel was set in such a way that suited his talents, but that used to be kind of the way sometimes you'd always wonder, like, you'd, you know, I mean, there'd be a, a quarterback who maybe could have been better and, and just kind of got hosed because they signed up for a team. And then the coach decides to take a better job or, or move on somewhere, gets fired. So, I always sympathize for players and kind of the weird level of blind luck that was always out there. Cause sometimes you, you, you know, for a variety of reasons, you'd sign up for a team that could be the one and, and you couldn't really leave it without taking out a full year or dropping down a level or, you know, over these other kind of hoops you had to jump through. And then we started to see that change with that graduate transfer rule, um, starting to get a couple of players there, you know, that additional year elsewhere. So now, my personal take is I think it's it, – I for all of the faults, I think this is still best for players. They'll give them that opportunity to move. And if they're going to move a couple of times, yeah, maybe eventually there's going to be that word of mouth. And I know to some extent coaches do talk to other coaches and, and get that word of mouth on whether a player – you know, what, what seems to be working or not working for them. Um, but if a player does succeed, it's hard to think that at, at the NFL they're going to go – oh, well, they moved around too much. If if one of those final moves really did show them to blossom into uh, the player that, that got their attention in the first place. What do you think, J.D.? Yeah, I think one of the big things for NIL, and let's just focus on transfers uh, for just a quick moment because it's so much easier to transfer nowadays, not just with the COVID year and the COVID exemptions you got, uh, but with new rules like the one-time transfer, with new academic eligibilities for being a grad transfer, and all this other kind of uh, opportunity for you to be more mobile than you used to be, where you don't necessarily have to sit out a full year to go off to a new team. I don't think that necessarily makes it look worse if you're trying to go into the NFL. I think immediately of examples like Joe Burrow, who, you know, he didn't crack the uh, two deep at Ohio State. And he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go down to LSU and I'm going to go figure out a scheme that works for me. Suddenly he's the number one overall pick. He is the Heisman candidate. Uh, he's now in the MVP race uh, in the pros. He's all these different accolades solely because he got a new opportunity for himself. I don't think it necessarily hurts you to go try and find a new opportunity. We see even in the NFL. I mean, I don't think anybody would be out here saying that, you know, Peyton Manning or 
for Tom Brady when they go win Super Bowls for the Broncos and for the Buccaneers, no one would say like, oh, well, they quit on, you know, the New England Patriots. Oh, they quit on the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, You know, they shouldn't be able to do that to begin with. Do you see so many guys who end up getting cut from teams and then become a huge contributor or starter somewhere else or they get traded or somewhere else where it ultimately comes down to NFL GMs are looking for guys who can play ball, who can fit into their system and be a good team player with the rest of the locker room. We're kind of seeing the same thing in college. And whereas in the past, kind of like Bobak said, I mean, there used to be a time where you had to hope that you would get the right team uh, coaches or schemes to fit your play. And it was so cumbersome to try to go somewhere else. You needed a situation like a Troy Aikman when he left Oklahoma to go to UCLA to really make it work for you as a player. Uh, Now that you have a little bit more flexibility, I think you actually get better opportunities to be a better player, to find schemes and advantages that actually makes you more draftable. I think overall player mobility and player freedom is always a good thing for the sport of college football, because it also gives us the opportunity to put the best players in the best schemes for them and really opens up opportunity for us to see wild games like a Tulane over USC or, you know, just different opportunities of like a Joe Burrow story or these TCU stories that we've seen like Johnny Hodges, you know, he had only one offer coming out of uh, Navy when he was coming out of the portal. I don't think anybody would put him down of saying like, you know what, you quit, Uh, The Naval Academy, how dare you? This is going to make you undraftable. Whereas he takes the one power five offer and now he's the starting linebacker for a team that's playing in the national championship game. We get these incredible storylines because of that mobility. And I think overall it's been a net positive. Yeah, I mean, there's and and to to acknowledge, you'll occasionally get someone like a Tate Martell. But even in his story, look at the greatness in that story. The guy behind him, right, who they called a practice QB, he balled out this year, and Tate retired. Like, every time I see Dorian Thompson-Robinson, my, my heart warms. Like, I'm like, look at that. Like, that's a real fucking baller. Like, man rode the bench behind you for three years, but he's going to get drafted this year. Like, I can't even find Tate at the local county fair. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I agree. That opportunity, because we always got to remember there's so many good stories in all of this and, and, and people who rise up and, and take that opportunity before them. Well, you know, let's see here. We've got about five minutes left now. We're going to slowly start wrapping up here. JD, I want to know your thoughts about this national championship game. I'm going to be covering it. I'm going to stay neutral. So, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I mean, I think Jason Kirk had said it really well earlier this week. TCU, if they win a national title, is probably the wildest thing that we have seen in college football, especially modern-day college football, and it's not going to have anything that's really remotely close to it. I mean, if you want to talk about incredible stories of circumstances that should not have happened, uh, TCU... Uh, is, I believe, the first team since 2010 Auburn with Cam Newton to start the season unranked and play in a national championship game. Uh, but it goes even further than that. This is a team that last year went 5-7, and seven, fired the guy who built the modern-day program, was projected to finish 7th in their conference this year with a first-year head coach at that program. 
Uh, and they've suddenly gone, you know, not just even getting into a winning opportunity, not even getting into a conference championship game. The fact that TCU is currently, you know, about to play for a national championship game after getting a huge win over Michigan, after winning 12 games in the regular season. This is an unprecedented story in the history of college football in terms of complete turnaround. Now, granted, this is also a year that we saw Tulane turn from a 2-10 team to a 12-2 team. And we have a story that might even be topped with this national championship game. I think also it's just an incredible opportunity to see how wild of a season this has been and how wonderful of a conclusion it's going to be regardless of the outcome. Either we're going to see Kirby Smart do what hadn't been done since his mentor did it a decade ago and getting back-to-back championships with a quarterback who, you know, you want to talk about other fantastic stories, Stetson Bennett, starting as a walk-on quarterback and ultimately rising up the ranks, beating out these five-star athletes uh, and getting these other guys to transfer out uh, solely because he was able to compete and play at a high level at a school like the University of Georgia. For him to be a back-to-back champion is another incredible story that you know I don't think we get in any other sport. I love this national championship matchup, and certainly even though my heart is feeling for one team, I think we're going to get an incredible story either way of what happens. I think that was really well put, J.D. And, you know, one other team I always feel like kind of – it's weird to say this, but I feel it doesn't get enough, doesn't hear as much credit because I think of the un, the unfortunate tragedy that followed the Rose Bowl. Penn State, I, I was that was something else to watch them go in there, and obviously Cam Rising got injured, but they took care of business and won what seems to be the last traditional Rose Bowl matchup. Um, and it was kind of a nice way to see the, the you know the, all those players, including Sean Clifford especially, see how that that uh, that Penn State season ended there because. You know, I mean, it's a tough division. We've gone over that so many times, but you know, they 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 want the the classic Big Ten champ, the, the what every Big Ten champ always wanted to win the Rose Bowl, while the two teams ahead of them went and, and lost the the semifinal. So maybe they got the biggest the biggest lap of all, or the biggest smile of all over the holidays. But um, you know, with that said, it's been about an hour. We're going to go ahead and wrap up here. This was RCFB Talk One Hundred and Twenty. Um, we are talked before the national championship, which is of course coming up on Monday, as well as the FCS title game, North Dakota state takes on South Dakota state. It's a rivalry game for them in the playoffs. Sometimes they'll have a big playoff and it'll still end up being two teams from the same conference. Hmm. I wonder if we'll have that with the 12 team playoff. Um, so I can hear the SEC chants in the background. All right. So with all that said, on behalf of myself, Bob Ekairi, on behalf of my co-host, JD Moore, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend and, well, week and then weekend. And I'm going to hang up and listen.